0: Welcome to Songs of Praise from Three ABN Australia Radio.
1: Trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to trust his cleansing blood. Just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. trust Him more. Yes, it is sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy. To trust Him more I'm so glad I learned to trust Thee Precious Jesus, Savior, friend And I know that Thou art with me Wilt be with me till the Trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, for grace to trust him more.
2: Worthy the Lamb He who was slain Though righteous and pure Reigns as the great I Am Born of His mercy His bride to claim
0: This is Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.
3: Found there were wars and strife.
4: surrounds the Savior and which seems in the distance to be shrouded in darkness. The people of God know this to be the sign of the Son of Man. In solemn silence they gaze upon it as it draws nearer the earth, becoming lighter and more glorious until it is a great white cloud, its base a glory-like consuming fire, and above it the rainbow of the covenant. Jesus Jesus rides forth as a mighty conqueror, not now a man of sorrows, to drink the bitter cup of shame and woe. He comes, victor in heaven and earth, to judge the living and the dead. With anthems of celestial melody, the holy angels, a vast, unnumbered throng, attend him on his way. The firmament seems filled with radiant forms, 10,000 times ten thousand and thousands and thousands of thousands. No human pen can portray the scene. No mortal mind is adequate to conceive its splendor. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. As the living cloud comes still nearer, every eye beholds the Prince of Life. No crown of thorns now mars that sacred head, but a diadem of glory rests on his holy brow. His countenance outshines the brightness of the noonday sun and he has on his robe and on his thigh.
5: Uh-huh. Hour of prayer sweet hour of prayer sweet hour
3: Where will I live?
6: Choose life,
7: that you and your descendants may live. Will you love the Lord your God and obey
3: his voice? For God is your life and the length of your days. So what will you choose? Will you choose life?
0: listening to Songs of Praise.
6: I serve an orphan with seed. This is not our home. This is not where we belong. God prepared a place for us to be happy eternally. eternally one day we'll be there with his bright
2: he spoke and all things came to be. Yet he hears each simple prayer I bring before him.
8: When I humbly seek his face and bow the knee.
0: Listening to Three ABN Australia Radio's "Songs of Praise." The three friends
7: refused to bow down like everyone else in the crowd. Bye. and faithfully boldly for all to see will you choose God or?
4: Little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord.
0: you been listening to Songs of Praise, a production of Three ABN Australia Radio. Welcome to Three ABN Australia Radio's book reading program, the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads.
9: Continuing the chapter, Other Lessons from Seed Sowing. By rejecting the first warning from God, Pharaoh of old sowed the seeds of obstinacy, and he reaped obstinacy. God did not compel him to disbelieve. The seed of unbelief which he sowed produced a harvest of its kind. Thus his resistance continued until he looked upon his devastated land, upon the cold, dead form of his firstborn, and the firstborn of all his house and of all the families in his kingdom, until the waters of the sea closed over his horses and his chariots and his men of war. His history is a fearful illustration of the truth of the words that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Galatians 6 verse 7. Did men not realize this? They would be careful what seed they sow. As the seed sown produces a harvest, and this in turn is sown, the harvest is multiplied. In our relation to others, this law holds true. Every act, every word, is a seed that will bear fruit. Every deed of thoughtful kindness, of obedience, or of self denial will reproduce itself in others, and through them, in still others. So every act of envy, malice, or dissension is a seed that will spring up in a root of bitterness, Hebrews 12, verse 15, whereby many shall be defiled. And how much larger number will the many poison? Thus the sowing of good and evil goes on for time and for eternity. Liberality, both in spiritual and in temporal things, is taught in the lesson of seed sowing. The Lord says, Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters, Isaiah 32, verse 20. This I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. To sow beside all waters means a continual imparting of God's gifts. It means giving wherever the cause of God or the needs of humanity demand our aid. This will not tend to poverty, He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. The sower multiplies his seed by casting it away. So it is with those who are faithful in distributing God's gifts. By imparting, they increase their blessings. God has promised them a sufficiency that they may continue to give. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. Luke 6, verse 38. And more than this is ramped up in the sowing and the reaping. As we distribute God's temporal blessings, the evidence of our love and sympathy awakens in the receiver, gratitude, and thanksgiving to God. The soil of the heart is prepared to receive the seeds of spiritual truth, and he who ministers seed to the sower will cause the seed to germinate and bear fruit unto eternal life. By casting of the grain into the soil, Christ represents the sacrifice of himself for our redemption. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, he says, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. John 12, verse 24. So the death of Christ will result in fruit for the kingdom of God. In accordance with the law of the vegetable kingdom, life will be the result of his death. And all who would bring forth fruit as workers together with Christ must first fall into the ground and die. The life must be cast into the furrow of the world's need. Self-love, self-interest must perish. But the law of self-sacrifice is the law of self-preservation. The seed buried in the ground produces fruit, and in turn this is planted. Thus the harvest is multiplied. The husbandman preserves his grain by casting it away. So, in human life, to give is to live. The life that will be reserved is the life that is freely given in service to God and man. Those who, for Christ's sake, sacrifice their life in this world will keep it unto a life eternal. The seed dies to spring forth into new life, and in this we are taught the lesson of the resurrection. All who love God will live again in the Eden above. Of the human body laid away to moulder in the grave, God has said, It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 and 43. Such are a few of the many lessons taught by Nature's living parable of the sower and the seed. As parents and teachers try to teach these lessons, the work should be made practical. Let the children themselves prepare the soil and sow the seed. As they work, the parent or teacher can explain the garden of the heart with the good or bad seed sown there, and that as the garden must be prepared for the natural seed, so the heart must be prepared for the seed of truth. As the seed is cast into the ground, they can teach the lesson of Christ's death. And as the blade springs up, they can teach the lesson of the truth of the resurrection. As the plants grow, the correspondence between the natural and the spiritual sowing may be continued. The youth should be instructed in a similar way. They should be taught to till the soil. It would be well if there were, connected with every school, lands for cultivation. Such lands should be regarded as God's own schoolroom, The things of nature should be looked upon as a lesson book which his children are to study and from which they may obtain knowledge as to the culture of the soul. In tilling the soil, in disciplining and subduing the land, lessons may constantly be learned. No one would think of settling upon a raw piece of land, expecting it at once to yield a harvest. Earnestness, diligence and persevering labor are to be put forth in treating the soil preparatory to sowing the seed. So it is in the spiritual work in the human heart. Those who would be benefited by the tilling of the soil must go forth with the Word of God in their hearts. They will then find the fallow ground of the heart broken by the softening, subduing influence of the Holy Spirit. Unless hard work is bestowed on the soil, it will not yield a harvest. So with the soil of the heart... The Spirit of God must work upon it to refine and discipline it before it can bring forth fruit to the glory of God. The soil will not produce its riches when worked by impulse. It needs thoughtful, daily attention. It must be ploughed often and deep, with a view to keeping out the weeds that take nourishment from the good seed planted. Thus, those who plough and sow prepare for the harvest. None need stand in the field amid the sad wreck of their hopes. The blessing of the Lord will rest upon those who thus work the land, learning spiritual lessons from nature. In cultivating the soil, the worker knows little what treasures will open up before him. While he is not to despise the instruction he may gather from minds that have had an experience and from the information that intelligent men may impart, he would gather lessons for himself." This is a part of his training. The cultivation of the soil will prove an education to the soul. He who causes the seed to spring up, who tends it day and night, who gives it power to develop, is the author of our being, the King of Heaven, and he exercises still greater care and interest in behalf of his children. While the human sower is planting the seed to sustain our earthly life, the divine sower, will plant in the soul the seed that will bring forth fruit unto life everlasting. Like unto leaven, this chapter is based on Matthew 13, verse 33, and Luke chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Many educated and influential men had come to hear the prophet of Galilee. Some of these looked with curious interest upon the multitude that had gathered about Christ as he taught by the sea. In this great throng, all classes of society were represented. There were the poor, the illiterate, the ragged beggar, the robber with the seal of guilt upon his face, the maimed, the dissipated, the merchant and the man of leisure, high and low, rich and poor, all crowding upon one another for a place to stand and hear the words of Christ. As these cultured men gazed upon the strange assembly, they asked themselves, Is the kingdom of God composed of such material as this? Again the Saviour replied by a parable, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. Among the Jews, leaven was sometimes used as an emblem of sin. At the time of the Passover, the people were directed to remove all the leaven from their houses as they were to put away sin from their hearts. Christ warned his disciples, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Luke 12, verse 1. And the apostle Paul speaks of the leaven of malice and wickedness. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8. But in the Savior's parable, leaven is used to represent the kingdom of heaven. It illustrates the quickening, assimilating power of the grace of God. None are so vile... None have fallen so low as to be beyond the working of this power. In all who will submit themselves to the Holy Spirit, a new principle of life is to be implanted. The lost image of God is to be restored in humanity. But man cannot transform himself by the exercise of his will. He possesses no power by which this change can be effected. The leaven, something holy from without must be put into the meal before the desired change can be wrought in it. So the grace of God must be received by the sinner before he can be fitted for the kingdom of glory. All the culture and education which the world can give will fail of making a degraded child of sin a child of heaven. The renewing energy must come from God. The change can be made only by the Holy Spirit All who would be saved, high or low, rich or poor, must submit to the working of this power. As the leaven, when mingled with the meal, works from within outward, so it is by the renewing of the heart that the grace of God works to transform the life. No mere external change is sufficient to bring us into harmony with God. There are many who try to reform by correcting this or that bad habit, and they hope in this way to become Christians— but they are beginning in the wrong place. Our first work is with the heart. A profession of faith and the possession of truth in the soul are two different things. The mere knowledge of truth is not enough. We may possess this, but the tenor of our thoughts may not be changed. The heart must be converted and sanctified. The man who attempts to keep the commandments of God from a sense of obligation merely because he is required to do so, will never enter into the joy of obedience. He does not obey. When the requirements of God are accounted a burden because they cut across human inclination, we may know that the life is not a Christian life. True obedience is the outworking of a principle within. It springs from the love of righteousness, the love of the law of God. The essence of all righteousness is loyalty to our Redeemer. This will lead us to do right because it is right, because right doing is pleasing to God. The great truth of the conversion of the heart by the Holy Spirit is presented in Christ's words to Nicodemus. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. John chapter 3, verses 3 to 8. Join us again next time as
0: Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. hope you enjoy the
10: short presentation of how God led his people after the reformation from lineagejourney.com. Topsom, Maine is located about 25 miles north of Portland, Maine, and is the home of Fort Howland, the home of Stockbridge, Howland, an important place in early Sabbatarian Adventism. This town would have had a population of around 2,000 in the 1840s, and the principal industry would have been the mill factories along the Angroscoggin River. Stockbridge was a close friend of James and Ellen White during the early years of their marriage, and they would spend a lot of time in his house, today located on 7 Elm Street, also living there for some time. Joseph Bates had recently published a tract that linked the Sabbath with the sanctuary based on Revelation 11, verse 19, marking a progression in the development of this doctrine. It was shortly after this, in April of 1847, when in this house behind me, Ellen White had her Sabbath halo vision. She saw the Ten Commandments of God inside the Ark of the Covenant with a special halo of light around them. This marked the Sabbath as being present truth, for they saw Jesus before the ark in the most holy place. Shortly after this, James White published a tract that crystallized the views of the founders of Adventism entitled, A Word to the Little Flock. In October of 1847, The Howlands invited the Whites to move in with them, and they moved into the upstairs floor of the house. James White got a job nearby hauling stone for the railroads, as well as cutting wood for 50 cents a day. This was barely enough to live on, but he would still use much of the money to publish tracks to share with people. The sacrifice of these early pioneers is remarkable considering the poverty that they were living in. Hopson Maine is also the location of one of the six Sabbath conferences of 1848 in the Howland home. It was after this conference that the whites realized they could not travel with Henry everywhere due to the busy schedule. He thus spent the next several years living with the Howlands, and it wasn't until his parents moved to Rochester, New York, that he moved back with them. Such were the sacrifices that they made early on due to the busy traveling and speaking life that they had. During the fall of 1863, the whites would return to New England and spend some time in the Howland home. It was good to be back with old friends that they shared so many happy memories with from almost 20 years prior. The work that had started here had progressed a lot. The church was now officially organized, had publishing houses, and believers were growing all over the country. As they came back to a place that reminded them of the extreme sacrifice they had to make, both financially and as parents, they would experience a terrible loss. Henry was assisting in the completion of the 1863 prophetic chart by gluing them onto the cloth back when in the process of doing this, he contracted a cold which turned into pneumonia, resulting in a sudden death. This was a terrible shock and caused deep sadness for the whole family. His funeral was held just down the road in the Baptist church here, but his final resting place would be in Battle Creek. He said he wanted to be buried near his brother, John Herbert, in case his parents were away traveling, he could be near to him on the resurrection morning. Shortly after the death of Henry, Ellen White would publish this book, An Appeal to Youth, which included some of her letters to her children. Writing shortly afterwards, Ellen White commented, but God comforted us in our bereavement. And with faith and courage, we pressed on with the work God had given us in the bright hope of seeing our children who had been torn from us by death in the land where death and sickness will never come. If you have experienced a similar loss in your life, I pray that you may find comfort as well. To view more episodes in
0: the series, visit lineagejourney.com.